following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So last week, Jared shared awesome, awesome message, and he had to leave today. So I thanked him before he left because he gave my introduction. So like I said, God knew this. God knew this ahead of time. But as he was sharing last week, he introduced the message that the Lord had given to me. The scripture that he ended with is a scripture that God gave me for this message. And it's Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance or endurance the race marked out for us. And that's what Jared spoke on last week. But we can't stop there, because then he talked about how what happened when his ankles gave out and his muscles locked up, he had to look beyond where he was. And that takes us to verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If Jared had given in to that pain and that lack of energy and stopped, he would never have reached the prize. But if we stop at verse 1, we can put ourselves in bondage, just as he'd have been in bondage by never receiving the prize. But we can put ourselves in bondage because we look at, okay, we got to throw off everything. We got we to gotta get out of this sin. And if we stop there, we can spend our lives struggling to do that. If we're not looking unto Jesus, then our eyes will be on our walk, on our race, on our failure, or maybe on our perfection, maybe on what we can do. If we're not looking unto Jesus, our eyes will be on ourselves. And our focus can only be on one thing at a time. Did you know that your eyes can only focus on one thing at a time? If I'm looking at Ashley, I can't see what's behind me. I'm going to do a little illustration to bring that home. Marley, could you come up here, please? Marley, I'm going to ask you to focus on me, okay? Can you look at me? Can you see what I have here? Okay, would you like that? Hmm? As long as you're looking at me, I think I will give that to you. Would you like it? Okay, you can have that. Okay, Marley, did you know that Ella is standing behind you making faces at you? How come you didn't know that? Thank you. You may sit down. Okay. Marley could not see behind her because she was looking at me. She was focusing on me. Now let me show you the other part of that. I'm going to ask all of the kids to come up and look at me. Okay. Come on up, all you kids. Marley, 
Dylan, Tatiana, Lily, Lincoln, and Maddox. Lincoln, be sure you keep your eyes on me, okay? Okay? All right. Now, everybody's looking at me, right? Okay. Lincoln. <laughs> He's being too obedient. <laughs> I told Bill, I said, sometimes object lessons work and sometimes they don't. Okay? Give me that out of there, please. Okay. All of you kids that are looking at me, you're supposed to go over there. <laughs> All of you kids that are looking at me, I have something for you. down. Okay, Lincoln and Maddox, you can come back now. <laughs> no, you can come here. <laughs> the object was that if they didn't look at me, they wouldn't get what I was trying to give them, but they just kept looking at me. So here you go. <laughs> this happens a lot upstairs. We have this one time, Mr. Bill was doing this wonderful lesson on how your words must be sweet and they had to taste lemons or apples, they all liked the lemons better than the apples. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, if what I was showing us is that we can only focus on one thing at a time, and it actually did work because Lincoln still was focusing on me. He was supposed to be distracted by his brother, but, but as long as we're looking at our sin, at our weakness, at our mistakes, at our failures. That's what we're going to stay focused on. And we won't see Jesus, and we won't hear him saying, I did it all. I've already taken care of that. As Bill was sharing this morning, when he hung on that cross, he took our sin. He took our failures. He took our disappointments. If we think we can do anything under our own strength to get closer to God, then we won't need Jesus. But the very opposite of that is true. We can do nothing under our own strength. Revelation 4.11 tells us that we were created for God's pleasure to spend time with him. We weren't created to teach. We weren't created to sing songs. We weren't even created to work for God. Those things are all a result of knowing him. Those are the things that he puts in us to do when we're looking to him. I can't get any closer to God by standing up here and preaching to you today. I can only get closer to him by looking unto him, by knowing him by looking unto Jesus, by seeing him. So what I want us to ask ourselves today is what it actually means to see Jesus. This verse talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus or looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now I'm not, not talking about some mystical way of seeing Jesus. You know, don't, don't, don't go sit all by yourself and, and wait till you can see 
an image of Jesus. I'm sure you've all read stories through the ages of people that, you know, beat themselves and, and did all these things to their body so they could see God. That's not what God wants from us. He wants us to stop looking at ourselves and see who he is. To see Jesus is to see him as the total supply of our current situation. Whatever we need, he is the supply. Seeing can be physical. Seeing can also be mental, intellectual. How many times are you trying to figure something out? And then you go, oh, I see it now. You see it. It becomes real to you. And that's what Jesus wants us to do, is to see him. And then we need to lay hold of that by faith. Seeing Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith means seeing him as the originator and the perfecter of our faith. We didn't even begin this process. He did. And whatever Jesus begins, he's going to complete. If he has started something in you, and I think every one of you know that he has, at some point, he started something in you. You responded to it. If he started something in you, he's going to complete it. But it's his faithfulness that's going to complete it. It's not your, it's not even your perseverance if your perseverance is relying on your own strength, your perseverance of looking unto him will complete it. It's not our cleverness. It's not our brilliance. It's not our education. It's not our talent. He did it. It says, for the joy that was set before him. Just as Jared was running that race for the prize that was at the end. Jesus hung on that cross for the joy that was set before him. What was, his, what was that joy that was set before him? It was bringing us into his glory. It says was, it was bringing many sons to glory. If we fully comprehend what Jesus did on the cross we will find that it is perfect and complete. It did it all. It brought us healing. It brought us peace. Nothing needs to be added. We think, okay, we've come to Jesus, and now we need to do this. Now we need to do this. The only thing we need to do is to look unto him. Those kids stood here just looking at me, and they received what I had for them. They didn't come up and beg me. They didn't come up and pull on my dress. They didn't come up and grab it. They didn't even have to ask for it. That's pretty amazing. I think we think we have to work something up. We have to be good enough. We have to do something well enough. We have to pray enough. Those are all things that are a result of knowing him. When I get to know you, I want to spend time with you. When I get to know you, 
I will ask you for help when I need it because I know you care about me. How much more does Jesus want us to know him? He completely bore our shame on the cross. Can you imagine what it was to hang on that cross? We see the Hollywood versions. We see pictures. But he was hanging there naked. How shameful. And like Bill said, the cross was a total object, instrument of shame. We, we can't even imagine that because we've never seen anybody crucified on a cross. We think that uh, the electrocutions that we have today are so inhumane. I can't imagine what a cross dying that way would have been. He hung there in shame for us. I'm sure we all have areas in our lives where we have shame, we have regret. But Jesus made the perfect exchange on that cross. He exchanged our shame for his glory. He hung there for us so that he for the prize that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him. In Romans 8, verses 29 to 32, we are given a very clear picture of what God has already done through Jesus. And this is one thing that we need to comprehend, is that this isn't a process that God's working on every day. He doesn't say, oh, Nate, you need this today, so I better come up with a plan. The plan that God has for our life was there before we were ever born. So I'm going to look at Romans 8, verse 29, and let's look at this plan. For those God foreknew, he already knew us, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. What Jesus was doing on that cross was giving birth to us as God's children. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. When we truly see Jesus as all we need, we enter into his abundant inheritance. We become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Now, Paul outlines here the five-step processes, which are all past tense. You notice these are past tense. He, is, he doesn't say, I'm justifying you, I'm glorifying you. They're all past tense. The first two, foreknew and predestined, took place in eternity before time even began. Now, we, we can't comprehend this, but the Bible says it, so it's true. He knew every one of us. He foreknew us, and he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. God knew that he was going to make you one day, and then he, was going, he wanted you to be the likeness of Jesus. That was what God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were doing at creation. They were creating sons and daughters to fellowship with, to walk with, to talk with. 
Adam kind of changed it around a little bit, but God's plan didn't change. Then God called us. You were called through his word, through the preaching of the gospel. And when we responded by looking unto Jesus, by seeing him on the cross, by accepting what he did for us, he justified us. But he didn't stop there. It says he glorified us. He brought us up to share glory with Jesus. So we can't come to Jesus and say, oh, I'm glad he saved me, but I'm such a bad person. Now I got to do this to get better. Now I got to try to do this to clean myself up. When we come to the cross, we become like Jesus. We enter into his glory. And he says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, this is verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's because of what he did, not because what we do. It's already done. It's not in the future. It's not in the past. We walk in it now. Where Jesus is, we are. That's the divine exchange. And therefore, this is one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 4.18. We look not at the things of earth, which are temporary, but at the unseen, which is eternal. And I'm going to tell you something. When I walked in this service this morning at 10 o'clock, and I sat down, and I had to quote that verse to myself, because what, there were maybe 10 of you here. And I said, I look not at the things that are seen, but at the, un the things that are not seen, because the unseen things are eternal. What God is going to do here today is not determined by what I see. What God is going to do in your life is not determined by what you see. We don't look at our circumstances. We look at the unseen things, which are in the eternal realm. And I want to talk a minute about eternity, because that, again, is something that's very difficult to understand. We think eternity starts when we die and we go to heaven. But eternity is eternal. It was never beginning, and it's never ending. Looking unto Jesus as the great I am, the ever-present one who stands outside of time, to whom there is no past or future, to whom everything is present, is very difficult to understand. But I read something that illustrates in a, in a way that might be might help us all to understand it. It's not merely elongated time, but it's another realm altogether where everything is present. You know, I had a conversation one time with someone. So, well, what about, you know, when people die, you know, we, we think, okay, they're up there waiting for us. But that's not true. Because when they die, they enter into eternity and there is no longer time. So the Abraham and me 
and the person that's going to die 10 years from now are all in the same realm. We are the only ones that are in time. When we were born on this earth, we were born into a time zone, whether it was central or eastern. But this illustration might help us. How many of you have ever read a book? Do you like to read books? I love to read. I love to get involved in the story. And I become so involved that when it ends, I find myself wondering what those people are doing today. Okay? Well, that can kind of illustrate eternity. In the story, there's a sequence of time. Now, as the reader, as we turn the pages, certain incidents go into the past, others come into the present, and yet others remain in the future. The reader can open the book at any page, and to him, the incidents there are all present. I'm seeing it today in my time. It's actually happening at that moment as I read them. That's like Jesus. We're like his book. Okay? Things that are happening in our lives, we have that some of them happened in the past to us. Some of them are happening now. Some of them are happening in the future. But Jesus is seeing them all in the present. He doesn't go, he's already been in our past. He's already been in our future. But he's looking at us at this moment because he's reading us right now, today. To him, our lives with their past and present and future are all present. Our yesterdays as well as our tomorrows are all now in him. And he called himself, I am. He is, I am whatever I need today. The word Jehovah is what's translated as I am. And that name of God was only given to people that personally knew him. To the people that were not the children of God, he was God and he was the Lord. But to those who knew him, he was Jehovah. Because Jehovah means, I am what you need. And Jesus called himself Jehovah when they asked, who are you? He is God, and he is whatever we need. The name Jesus is a contraction of Jehovah Sus, S-U-S, which means I am thy salvation. And if we look around at these banners hanging in here, we see I am, and then we see Jehovah Rapha, I am your healer. We see Jehovah Jireh, I am your provider. That should say Jehovah Redeemer, I am your Redeemer. Jehovah Shama, I am there. Where? Wherever you are. He is what we need now. And we only understand that if we're looking at him now. If he has what we need now, and we're over here trying to work it out, 
or we're over here trying to earn it, we're not receiving it. We need to be looking unto him, our peace, our healer, our redeemer. I am salvation. He said, I am the door, and it's always open. I am the way. There is no way to Christ. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. John 14, 6 and 7, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto, unto the Father except through me. Jesus came to show us who God is. He said in John 14, 9, that he who has seen me has seen the Father. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, when the sun's shining and we're sitting in the house and we see those little dust particles, we're not seeing the sun. We're seeing a reflection of the sun. And God chose to show his reflection in the face of Jesus. And when we look into that face, then there shines in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which we can see nowhere else. It's a reflection of his love shining into our hearts because we're looking at the face of Jesus. I brought a few things here that we're going to look at that kind of illustrate different ways to see things. I told Misty this morning, if you ask a children's pastor to teach, you get object lessons. <laughs> but I think we all learn from object lessons. So here's some ways. What do you use a telescope for? To see, to see things that are very far away right? Some things you couldn't even see with your naked eye unless you look in here. So with a telescope, we see things far off. Ephesians 2.13 tells us, but now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So even when we were far away, God saw us, <laughs> and he brought us near by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, what else we got in here? Okay, here's some sunglasses. Now, if I put these on, whew, I see darkly. 2 Corinthians 13, 12 says, but now we see through a glass dimly, but then we will see face to face. When we look into the face of Jesus, he wants us to see him face to face. We don't have to look through a glass anymore. He tore down all the barriers. I need to use these to see. 
If I take these off, I can hardly tell who's in the second row because I'm nearsighted. In 2 Peter 1.9, the word says, but concerning the one who lacks such things, those things that they lack are the things that pastors spend about a month teaching us about, loving kindness and all of that. If we lack those, we're blind. That is to say, he's nearsighted since he has forgotten about the cleansing of his past sins. We must remember those sins have already been taken care of. So why would we keep going around being blind, being nearsighted? One thing I do need to have with me, with my glasses, is an optic cloth. Because every day I end up having to clean off the little smudges, the little fingerprints, the makeup, whatever gets on them. So we do have a responsibility of daily cleaning our spirits, cleaning our souls, cleaning those glasses, those eyes that we're using to look unto Jesus. And then there's a magnifying glass with a light. <laughs> this reminds me about seeing the light of glory. And it's the verse we read, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who shined in our hearts to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. When I let that light shine, I can see the face of Christ clearly. binoculars. What do we use binoculars for? I always have trouble focusing binoculars, but when we can keep them focused, then everything becomes clear. We can see a bird, and, and it, it's just a bird, but when you can focus these and look at that bird, you can see the little red tips and the little yellow tips. You can see clearly. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. goes right back to our first scripture. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. At the cross, Jesus tore down the wall of separation between us and God. So we have clear vision. But if we erect that wall again through sin, through indifference, through apathy... We must remember at that point to not try to climb over it, not to go back to trying to make ourselves better, but we need to come again as at first through Jesus. Jesus is the open door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is enough to see Jesus and enough to go on seeing him and seeing him, and seeing him, seeing him for who he is, because when we have seen Jesus, we have seen God. And at this time, I'm going to ask the kids to come up for prayer. I want to bless your children today with vision.
Father God, I thank you. I thank you that every person in this place has eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And I pray that anything from our past that has been hindering us would be laid down at this moment. And that we would truly turn our eyes upon Jesus. That we would look full in your wonderful face. And the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. We receive your grace today, Lord. Your grace to look unto you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We lay down striving. We lay down fears. And we receive your salvation. We receive your glorious inheritance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.